0: Helicopters spin through the sky in a dance of death. Their target, one man in a flying arsenal that fits in two alligator suitcases. The odds, four to one. They haven't got a chance.
1: I admire your luck, Mr.
2: Bond. James Bond.
0: Just a drink. A martini. Shaken, not stirred.
2: (gasps) I think he got the point. Beg your pardon? Forgot to knock. (gasps) Welcome to hell, Blofeld. Who are you?
3: My name is Pussy Galore.
2: I must be dreaming. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. It's a matter of a beautiful Italian spy, seven killers, a voodoo witch doctor, a living corpse, a gorgeous double agent, 12 cars, five planes, 10 acres of land, a wedding reception, a double-decker bus, a fleet of speedboats, a sea of crocodiles, the beautiful sorceress named Solitaire, a man with a steel arm, and a retired Navy LST, all against one man.
0: Mr. Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six. I trust you can handle this contraption cube. It goes by hot air. Oh, then you can. That's not funny, 007.
2: Look up, look down, look out. Here comes the biggest bomb of all. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be talking about spies, not spies in general, but the first spy, maybe the best spy, 007, James Bond. Straight away, let's kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Bob give us a little start here. Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about 007?
1: Well, I love James Bond. I will say that without reservation. In <laughs> fact, I think in a previous episode way back, we were talking about what we would be collecting if we didn't collect what we currently collect. And I think my answer was Bond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I have a small shelf of Bond stuff, but you know, if I wasn't spending all my money on Godzilla and Ultraman and monsters and whatever, I probably would have a whole room full of Bond stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, James Bond was created by Ian Fleming. And uh, Ian Fleming basically wrote his first Bond novel in 1952, and that was Casino Royale. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, well... Just a little bit on on uh, Ian Fleming's background. In World War II, he was a, a, the assistant to the uh, head of naval intelligence in Britain, and that's where he got his whole background for the MI6 and spies and Bond and the whole thing, basically from personal experience. Not that he went out in the field and. And did all the things that Bond does. He didn't have a license to kill, but he was more kind of administrative. But he did see how things worked and people come and go and new agents and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, he had basically a very good background. Plus, in his college days, university days, he would gamble. He would fraternize with women, and you know he would do. He was basically Bond. Mm-hmm. So, when he wrote his first novel, which was Casino Royale, uh, he was basically pulling on all of his experiences. And then, do you guys know where the the name James Bond came from? No. I do not. Really? Well, Ian Fleming was looking for the perfect name for his secret agent, and there was a book on his shelf on ornithology. So basically a bird watching book talking about different species of birds and the author of the book was James Bond. <laughs> and so he pulled that name off that book and that author became legendary as, as James Bond. In fact, I think oh, they God. talked to that author at one point and asked him about how he felt and he was just didn't want to talk about it, but <laughs> <laughs> you should be that, flattered. That was his namesake. So the interesting thing is everybody thinks that 1962, Dr. No was the first movie. But there was actually CBS, Climax Theater, back in 1954 did a TV special on Casino Royale. So they bought the rights to Casino Royale and James Bond. And, uh, it was uh, Barry Nelson played American <laughs> agent Jimmy Bond. They changed things up a bit. And Le Chiffre, the main villain, was Peter Lorre. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was an old black and white. Yeah, I think you can find, like, Kinescope versions of it probably on YouTube or somewhere. I have a DVD of it. Um, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, it basically focuses on the... Uh, on the card games and that and uh, but it was very interesting but that's also why when Eon Productions got the rights to Bond in 62 and they kicked it off with Dr. No they did not have they had the rights to every novel except Casino Royale hmm. and uh, there was a guy by the name of Charles Feldman who got the rights from Casino Royale from CBS and he was trying to work with Eon Productions to make a Bond film out of it. And Eon really wasn't interested because, you know, they f- completely owned the other novels. They had plenty to pull from at that point. So he went off, he basically went to MGM and did the 1967 James Bond spoof Casino Royale. And it wasn't until 1999 when uh, Eon Productions got the rights finally got the rights to casino royale then they started working on that and that kicked off the whole daniel craig uh era with casino Mm -hmm. royale in 2006 but that's why they couldn't do that until then but yes the first film was first official eon productions bond film was dr no starring sean connery and uh Yeah, I know they went through a lot of different actors, even like Cary Grant and others, to pick the right Bond. And it was actually Cubby Broccoli's wife who said, hey, look at this guy over here in Darby O'Gill and the little people. (coughs) And he saw Sean Connery in that. And, you know, that was kind of a musical. It definitely wasn't typical James Bond, but I guess he had the look that Broccoli was looking for. And so he brought him in. And he became became Bond in Doctor uh, Who.
2: Interesting. And, uh, you know, as we're recording this, Sean Connery has recently passed away, so God rest his soul, and thank you Mr. Connery for uh, all the roles, Darby O'Gill and, you know, especially James Bond.
3: And Zardoz.
1: And
2: Zardoz. And of course
1: Zardoz. <laughs> An Outland. And actually, you know, between Zardoz and Outland and a few others, we could actually do a non-Bond Connery episode at some point.
2: League of <laughs> Extraordinary Gentlemen and um, Indiana Jones's father. That's right.
1: Um, Shoney.
3: Oh, gosh. What was the uh, Time Island. Bandits?
1: Oh, we yeah. Five, that's right. Oh, yeah. Well, I see an episode coming up. But mm-hmm. anyway... Today we talk Bond
2: Today we talk Bond
1: And not just Conry Bond, we'll cover everything Well, we're going to cover most We're going to we're gonna
2: kind of take a look at some of our personal favorites And I'll work, work our way, you know I'm not sure if it'll go in uh, chronological order Or we're just going to kind of jump around as we often do on Planet 8 Helter
1: Skelter well,
2: uh, yeah, Helter Skelter my personal favorite and I, I wasn't sure we were talking you know before we were recording how many films there were I thought there were like 30 but there's like a 24 25 did you say
1: well 25 would be the new one okay no time to die but that does not include Casino Royale or the Connery never say never again which has a whole history behind that
2: yeah yeah I, I my personal favorite is um, you know, I guess we could do top three, but my absolute favorite is From Russia With Love. I just, for some reason, love the way that that thing played out. I mean, it had everything. It had the lector. It had gypsies. It, it had spies. It had shootouts. It was just a lot of fun for me. You know, and, and traveling by rail to me is is very... Um, oh, I can't think of the word. You know, It's a, it's a very classic um, film film. Style of travel, at least for that um, period of time, it was uh, very romantic. And um, you know, the evil guy uh, trying to get it, Bond. I can't think of his name. Um, but playing off, you know, oh, I say, chap. Well, you know, what about this? Oh, well, I don't. Oh, yeah, know that, was,
1: that, that was Grant, and that was really kind of groundbreaking in that movie. The fact that they had this epic fight in a uh, railway room, or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Because you know, it's such it's, confined quarters and he and Grant are just going at it and yeah, it was they I they guess they did it again in uh Diamonds of Forever where he has the fight in the elevator, but just to have a close quarter fight, I don't think they had really been done before.
2: Right, right. Live and let die they fought in a rail car as well. Um that, that was Roger Moore. That's true. But um
1: you know the whole and, and I'm not I, I, I like or No, that was, spy, that was was Who Loved Me because he was fighting Jaws in the rail car. Oh, that's right. That's right. Spy Well,
2: well in Live and Let
3: Die, though, he was fighting Teehee, the guy oh, with the pincher right, arm. Yeah. yeah,
1: he threw him out the window, right? Yeah. Because okay. his yeah. arm is stuck on the on the window in right. Bond Hustle. Right, on. right. Yeah. The claw.
2: But, uh, you know, with the more modern films, you got the lasers and the satellites and everything. There was just something to me about flipping the switch on a briefcase, you know, and letting the gas loose. And I don't know, I it just, it, it, it works for me. Um, what about you, Karen? What, what you know, if, if you were to nail it down to like your top three or one of your favorite more memorable bond films do you have one
3: well i mean the first bond film i remember seeing and it would have been on tv was live and let die Mm. um and that was just you know it was very 70s it had the paul mccartney theme song which was Mm. you know classic um and it's funny because i don't Now I look at Roger Moore's performances, especially the later ones. The first couple of movies, he was not too bad, but later on he was always kind of winking at the camera and it was very, you know, very corny. Um, But I I have a fondness for that one just because of... uh, you know, it was my first and uh, you know, it's, it's still not too goofy. It's, it's, I mean, it, they're trying to do sort of a black blaxploitation and a bond movie, which is kind of weird. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's enjoyable to me, although I recognize it's maybe not the best bond film ever. Um, I think, really when I think of like Bond I now after having seen all of them I feel like Connery was probably the best uh-huh. um, and we can get into all the different characteristics of the different actors later on but uh, um, it's weird kind of watching those 60s ones though because there is a lot of sexism and stuff that's a little hard to get past just like a lot of 60s movies um, but he's just so like brutal and ruthless and everything and his 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 determination to get things done. So he's in some ways seems the most effective. And I like Goldfinger a lot. I think that's a a really good one. And of course it's got the whole classic thing. Like, do you expect me to bet? no, I expect you to die. And you know, all that stuff. So (laughs) I like that one uh, an awful
2: lot. Um, What about
1: you chief? Well, you know, it's hard for me to like pinpoint one movie. I mean, Live and Let Die was the first one I saw in the theater.
2: Well, and let me just say, so, Bob gets the no prize for having watched the most Bond movies um, prepping for this episode, so <laughs> kudos.
1: Well, I made it all the way up through uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, so halfway through the Brosnan era. But, no, I think, like I say, Live and Let Die has a certain place in my heart so because it's the first one I saw in the theaters, and subsequently, every Bond since then I have seen – in initial release in theaters, but I do have to give a big nod to Goldfinger. I think that was kind of the gold, the gold standard of the <laughs> Bond films. Um, I I just love Gert Frobe as uh, as Goldfinger. And do you realize that Gert Frobe could not speak English?
2: Yeah, they dubbed him. Right. He basically
1: hmm. did it all phonetically, and then they dubbed his voice. In fact, most of the Bond girls in the '60s were all dubbed a lot oh, of them were by the same woman <laughs> I can't recall her name but yeah it was they did a lot of dubbing in those films mm. but uh, Sean Connery was never dubbed for sure <laughs> that's um, right so but yeah I mean if I kind of got to go through real quick I mean Goldfinger definitely uh, as far as Roger Moore goes um, I think Spy Who Loved Me was kind of his peak even though I did like Live and let die, and also like For Your Eyes Only. Oh, George Lazenby, of course, my favorite Lazenby film (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) would be on uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. uh, uh, Um, Timothy Dalton, I love License to Kill, and I really wish he had more Bond films. He was pretty good. He was the closest Bond to the novels. And he was a Shakespearean actor, and he was—he's probably the out of all the Bond actors, he was probably the best at acting. Yeah. Um, and then Pierce Brosnan. Well, I really like Tomorrow Never Dies because, yeah, I watched Michelle Yeoh in countless Hong Kong action movies, and to see her in a Bond film was very cool. And then Daniel Craig—it's got to be Casino Royale because that was out of all the Bond films ever made. That was the closest to the original novel.
2: You know, every time you say Casino Royale, I can't help but think.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: oh,
1: yes. Well, well, I didn't say my favorite like David Nivenbond film or whatever. But.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I have. You know, I I appreciate and I love uh, Goldfinger as well, but uh, I am a huge fan of. Um, the Woody Allen, David Nibben, um, casino Royale. It's just so unbond. <laughs> you know, it's like, other than the name, um, and Bob was joking around, there's like a thousand different directors on the
1: thing. There are, I just looked it up. They had six different directors and like 11 writers. Yeah. Well, and it's like, come on. Yeah. We, we complain about Justice League and the fact that Josh Whedon took over from Snyder, but it's like, this was like Justice League times six or something. Cause it's like, I think it was like Peter Sellers kept firing directors and others would come in and Peter Sellers was having, he was having marital problems with Britt Eklund at the time and he wasn't in the greatest mood making that film. So yeah, he was like firing directors left and right.
2: Until he got fired.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he was he was in pretty much the whole movie, though.
2: Yeah, um, I, you know, I had said whenever you have cowboys and Indians jumping out of a parachuting out of an airplane, I, I'm sold. I, I uh, <laughs> that's and, your, and I, <laughs> yeah,
3: that's your measure that's for soft. quality.
2: Hey, you know, uh, we all have our standards. <laughs> um, the 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 I like I said up. Well, I'll be doing that all day now. I'm going to drive Jasmine insane. Well,
1: that's, definitely, that's yeah. definitely a classic earworm whenever I hear it. It'll get stuck in my head for days. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: let me ask you guys, Bob. You, you talked about George Lazarby. 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 Sorry, Lazarby. 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 There you go. The, the the only actor that ever played Bond once other than David Niven and Peter Sellers, but um, and Barry Nelson. I I like that movie as well and you know, Telly Savalas. What
1: a great actor. No, I loved And that's another theme song too that is, is it was the only other instrumental Bond theme song other than Dr. No which used the uh, the original Bond theme. Mm-hmm. And from Russia with Love was an instrumental, but there was words to it, which they say I think over the end credits. But yeah, um, but no, I think On a Majesty Secret Service was definitely a good Bond film, and you know I like Dalton. I think Lazenby should have gotten another shot or two at Bond.
2: Well, you know, just think about what that guy was going through, having been cast in that role. Um, because Connery left, the I mean, he filled his contractual, you know, obligation and whatever discussions were had or not had or fell through or didn't come about. Connery was moving on. And so they did this search for the next bond. Um, I'll call him George since I butcher his last name. He's Australian, right?
1: I believe so, yeah
2: australian and uh so they, they he's a tall handsome debonair good actor what happened why, why was there never a second outing for him
1: i don't know his, his arms were long too because when he had those fights he had those big roundhouse punches and things he yeah. was basically a pretty brutal bond as far as the fight scenes go um there's various stories about why he didn't come back after that film one, I guess, it was that his agent was trying to negotiate for way more money than they were willing to pay. Uh-huh. Um, he says that he just really what didn't want to get typecast in the role, and he quit. You know, Eon has their own stories, and but what, you know, whatever happened, they basically went back and got Sean Connery to come back for Diamonds Are Forever for one more try one more time <laughs> before Roger Moore came in now Roger Moore was in the Saint TV series so he went Saints, he, right. he right. went from the Saint he went to the Persuaders which he was in with uh, Tony Curtis great series if you get a chance definitely watch the Persuaders the two of them have like the perfect chemistry but yeah after that then they brought him on as uh, as Bond yeah, I you know, uh,
2: Live and Let Die was also the first film that I saw in a in a movie theater Bond film. Um, I haven't seen them all since then in in movie theaters, but I remember, um, you know, I was a young kid. I was like six or seven years old. Went with my parents, and I was blown away, man the the voodoo and uh, you know the sharks in the tank and um,
1: alligators
2: uh, Yeah, yeah And oh, the alligators, man That was cool too
1: and Name, Names is you. for he, tombstones, baby <laughs>
2: He, uh, and I guess that was intentional But Roger Moore became more kind of tongue-in-cheek In the Bond role in the later films And that kind of, you know Something like that will work in a Laurel and Hardy film But not so much in a Bond movie At least for me. Um,
1: Well, you know, it's like Live and Let Die was written before they had a bond. mm. Yeah, they were between bonds and they wrote the story. They had it ready to go. And then Roger Moore came in. So subsequent films after that, Man with a Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, View to a Kill, and Moonraker. If you want to talk about our least favorite. But... (laughs) um, those were more tailored towards uh, Roger Moore, and he he wanted a more lighthearted approach. In fact, he wasn't really happy with For Your Eyes Only because huh. it was more brutal. And he just... His bond had a softer side. Yeah. You know. You
2: know, and I, I will say, too, with uh, Live and Let Die, that was like the first kind of, like, rock and roll kind of, like... Faster theme in the Bond series. I mean, up to that, we had, you know, obviously Goldfinger and Thunderball,
1: uh, Tom yeah. Jones, Thunderball.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, Tom Jones. But, uh, it, 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 you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's one of those unique theme songs. I, I have the CD here somewhere. Um And it has all the the theme songs and then it has the, you know, the James Bond variations of the ding, 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 ding. Well, ding yeah. Ding, the
1: ding, interesting ding. thing about Live and Let Die is the, th- the, the soundtrack was done by George Martin. Huh? And so that's how, that's how Paul McCartney got involved doing the theme song. Oh, uh, all the, cool. Out, the background yep. music was written by George Martin. Huh? Very Cool. So, uh,
2: uh, you know, so Roger Moore gets started in Live and Let Die. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to jump straight to why is Moonraker not one of your favorite Bond movies, Bob?
1: Well, that was kind of the epitome of silliness in the Roger Moore <laughs> era. You know, Star Wars was big, so they wanted to send Bond off into space and all that. You know, right. Jaws was, you know, he, he was fairly humorous to a point in Spy Love Me. But he, you know he had his love interest and he was you know just over the top everything was just over the top overblown which is why I like For Your Eyes Only because it brought Bond no pun intended down to earth and back to basics (laughs) and it was more of a James Bond type film I don't even look at Moonraker as being a Bond film (coughs) it's totally the novel's totally different it's you know it's basically Moonraker in name only I guess
2: That's interesting. What, what, what adventure was, uh, had in the novel Did he, he didn't go up into space, I guess. You know, I,
1: I haven't read that novel since probably high school, Mm. but, uh, yeah, it's just, I read all the Bond books and again, that was like years and years ago. I should probably revisit them again, but, uh, Ian Fleming had a way, they call it like the Fleming sweep where it kind of sweeps you from chapter to chapter and, It's like, you know, you start reading the book, you can't put it down because it just Mm. keeps on going. But, Mm. um, yeah, all his novels, you know, were were very good. But, um, you know, some probably wouldn't translate well to movies. But, but yeah, I just, God, Moonraker. Yeah, no, I just hated it from day one. That's probably the only Bond film that I hate, but. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear
2: you. What do you have to say about Moonraker, uh, Karen?
3: Oh, honestly, uh, you know, I'm not as big a 007 buff, so I don't have a whole lot of thought on the matter, to be honest. Did you see I just, me? Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen pretty much all of these at least once. It's just... Um, My thought in general was that the more ones, like Bob said, they got progressively sillier to the point where it was almost infuriating because he'd just like wink at the camera and stuff. And it was just like, come on, you know. I just felt like he wasn't even trying at a certain point.
1: Well, if you look at like Octopussy and V to a Kill, he was basically way too old for the the role at that point. And I think Roger Moore actually backed out because he's like, you know, I'm James Bond and I'm I'm old and the women that I'm seducing are like, you know, a third my age or something. It's like, yeah, it wasn't working.
2: She knew my granddaughter, man. Not just my daughter, my granddaughter. It's a very poor Roger Moore accent on my part. Sorry. Oh
1: God, Was that what that was?
2: <laughs> you know, I got
1: to say, Moonraker
2: is not my favorite Bond film, but... I found it amusing. the The space shootout to me was like the underwater shootout with those little uh, water sleds that they had. Um, I don't know, just me. Yeah, that was un- a, that was those underwater
1: th- scenes in, uh, in Thunderball, those were all yeah. directed by Rico Browning. No, yeah, oh, Creature from cool. the Black Lagoon connection.
2: Nice. Nice. I, you know, I too, am not a huge, uh, bond aficionado, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it. So this is, this is, uh, very educational and cool talking with Bob here about this. Well,
1: the only other thing I'll, I'll throw out there is, uh, Derek Meddings, who did the special effects from like the, I think it was from like, you Only know, Live twice through, I want to say GoldenEye.
0: Hmm.
1: But he cut his teeth on, uh, he was doing the effects for the Jerry Anderson puppet shows, Super Marionation shows. Mm, Thunderbirds yeah. and Stingray and Captain Scarlet and all that. That makes sense. Oh.
2: That uh, wow. Well, yeah, and you know no wonder it felt familiar, you know, watching those marionette programs and you know then you you know Bond movie would be on the 3:30 movie or whatever and you're like, "Oh, okay. Just kind of Feel comfortable in that universe.
1: Well, you just kind of think, oh, they're both British, so, you know. But yeah, it was (laughs) was the Derek Meddings connection. In fact, I think it was, I want to say either GoldenEye or or License to Kill, where at the end it says, you know, dedicated to Derek Meddings, because that's when he had passed away. Uh, Ah, that's cool.
2: That they dedicated it to him, not that he passed away. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, another favorite of mine is uh the man with the golden gun
1: scaramanga scaramanga the man with and- three nipples
2: <laughs> now bob why well, i wonder if that was in the book or not what I, b- thing- I
1: believe it was in the book
2: and Karen, do you have anything to say about a three-nippled man, or a <laughs> there's
3: very little I would want to say about that.
2: <laughs> I I love the film for the fact. I mean, Hervé Villechaize is is in it, does a great job. Um, and, and it's funny, that, you know, the difference between Odd Job and his character. You know, the guy. So Odd Job is tall, and you know, and you got little Hervé coming in there, just as deadly, if not more so. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I have a certain aversion uh, to, to short people so maybe that kind of played on the psychology of how dangerous he was
1: well the thing about about him is that in the movie he doesn't seem to be on anybody's side
2: his own
1: yeah because he's like he's controlling all the switches and buttons and levers that are controlling all the things in the uh, a fun house for lack of a better term <laughs> that, uh, Scaramanga goes in and goes against his opponents. And yeah, he's doing stuff that messes Scaramanga up just as much as the things that mess bond or the other, uh, competitors. At.
2: I, I always took that to be like in the pink Panther when, uh, you know, Peter Sellers, uh, inspector Clouseau would come home and his his friend, his butler, uh, would be trying to hone his skills, and so he'd be hiding, waiting to like beat him in the next week, and you know mayhem would ensue. Uh, obviously, it wasn't as tongue in cheek in in the Bond film, but I just kind of took it as you know Scaramanga wanted to be the best, and you know I don't know maybe giving it a, a fair playing field or whatever, but.
1: Oh yeah, Man of the Golden Gun. It kind of, it tends to kind of get lost in the Roger Moore films. Yeah, you know, some people like it, some people don't, but it tends to be ignored more than more than anything else. Yeah, I
2: thought it was good. There's nothing like special or extraordinary about it, other than the three nipples, uh, which uh, is a dubious distinction. I, I don't
1: know if that would be extraordinary.
2: But... And <laughs> talking about collectibles, uh, Bob, I have little or no. James Bond collectibles, other than like a Hot Wheel here or there, and I saw this company was selling a uh, golden gun with the plaque and everything, and yes. it's under a, you know,
1: and it's very expensive too. Oh,
2: very expensive. I was like, ah, it's just too much for too little looks very cool you know and and whatnot but i
1: mean i've got i've got a few things like i say i have like a shelf of bond stuff i got like the james bond monopoly and i've got the original corgi car of uh of the aston martin db5 mm. from goldfinger yeah um, that's
2: nice well, and you know, I've
1: got, of- and you know i think i have a corgi of the of the lotus from spy love me and then no, a couple, a couple me. sideshow. I've got a sideshow of Bond from uh, from Live and Let Die, and then a sideshow from uh, of Jaws. From uh, I think it's actually from Moonraker, but it's basically Jaws. I'd gotten that because we did the uh, James Bond Weekend Thrill in two thousand seven or two double o seven at the Castro uh-huh. Theater, and we had Richard Keel who played bon- who played uh, Jaws as our guest. And so I had gotten that and had him sign it for me.
2: That's cool. One of the things I forgot to mention, and uh, from Russia with love. Uh, when Bond um, successfully protects the Lecter, um, he's wondering, you know, is is this Smash? It's Spectre. It's not Smash. Smursh. And now Smursh. Smurf. Smursh. Oh, Smursh. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's a whole nother uh, blue little, but um, it predated. And I wonder if they borrowed on that with uh, the Marvel Universe, Hail Hydra. I know Hydra is part of the comic book, but it was kind of a reminiscent scene to me when they're like whispering Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra.
3: Well, I yeah, mean, they it... totally took that from the Bond stuff, I think, mm. you know, because a lot of that came from the Nick Fury books.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Smirsh was basically like a Russian anti-spy organization that was out to kill spies and whatever. But when the Cold War kind of came to a slowdown, I guess it was, then they had to kind of find something else to be like the main antagonist. That's when uh, Spectre came in. Very
2: interesting.
1: That's in the novels anyway. I mean, Spectre was basically in the movies from day 1 with with Dr. No.
2: You know it's interesting if you think about it. I mean, here's this this author who who worked in British intelligence and had access to any number of dossiers related to World War 2 and MI5 and he was able to craft how many uh, novels did did, uh, Ian Fleming uh, write do you know Bob is there still material out there for them to make films or are they gonna
1: they used up all the titles of the novels Mm. in fact um, I think the last Bond film not counting Casino Royale the last Bond film that was from a novel you know from a title of a novel would probably be uh, Living Daylights Mm. and License to Kill was not a in fact, Living Daylights, Spy Love Me, a few of those were actually like short stories. Mm. For Your Eyes Only was a whole novel, well, a whole book of short stories. That's cool.
2: But, so they'll just start writing like original original well, the,
1: different... the Ian Fleming estate has approved certain authors to write books and there's been mm. numerous books after the Fleming novels. But as far as I know, I don't think they've done any movies based on any of those books. So pretty much it's all new stuff.
2: I wonder if they ever did like a graphic novel or a comic book of, of James Bond or they just left it as novels and movies.
1: Uh, no, there was a James Bond comic out for a while. Um, not too long ago, a few years ago. I can't remember the company that did it, but it might have been IDW. But uh, yeah, they definitely had a Bond comic.
2: Hmm. Did you hear about the comic book, Karen? That wasn't really in your.
3: Yeah, it wasn't really in my wheelhouse, per se. Mm. But, um, you know, I watched, I did watch Casino Royale as the uh, Craig film as one of my um, viewing selections. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about watching that is. Wondering about the influence of the Bourne films on the new Bond franchise, because, you know, the the Craig Casino Royale came out in 2006. The uh, first trilogy of Jason Bourne films, the first one came out in 2002, then 2004, 2007. And I, I mean, I really enjoy the Bourne, uh, the first trilogy of films with, uh, oh, gosh, now I'm blanking. Uh, you guys got to help me out in my old age here. Um,
2: Jason Bourne, that's uh, the blonde guy. Uh,
3: Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yes,
2: Matt Damon. Anyway,
3: um, so so, but you know, those films have uh, you know the the action. It is really fast paced and and pretty brutal, and it's um, you know a lot of serious spy craft and all this other stuff. And I think they, you know, they were sort of moving. In a more serious direction, in the the films with Dalton and and maybe with um, Brosnan, but really the Craig films, I, it just I just felt like, especially picking him as he was kind of a throwback to the Connery style of kind of ruthless, brutal kind of guy. Um, I don't know. I felt like there was a, definitely an influence. Um, or at least maybe everybody was shifting towards the direction that Bourne had had been going in.
1: Interesting. Well, definitely in style. But yeah, I mean, like I say, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig was very, 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 very close to the novel. And uh, so as far as the story and the elements and all that, uh, yeah, it was definitely Ian Fleming, basically. But yeah. there's
3: some pretty brutal scenes in there, like when they torture Bond with the chair with the bottom cut out and the rope and stuff. I mean, that's that's some pretty. Oh yeah, that's that's stuff. right.
1: That's right out of the novel. I was really? going into the movie, I thought, man, I wonder if they're going to do that. And it's like, holy shit, they did. Ugh. But uh, yeah, it was. In fact, it's funny because when I was watching Casino Royale, the '67 version, and at one point, David Niven's sitting in this chair. And they comment that there's a hole in the chair. And Lashief is just like, well, that was, you know, we need to get that upholstered. But they do mention the hole in the chair. And it was like, oh, man, I never, I did not notice that until this time when I viewed it.
2: I got to tell you, that Daniel Craig Casino Royale, that was the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in a Bond film. When they're using his Cajoneses as a punching bag, I was like, man.
1: With a knotted rope, yeah.
2: Torture.
1: But yeah, Yeah. in fact in the novel after that happened, you know, and the same thing. You know, Schmirsch agents come in and and uh, take the chief out because basically he was he was basically embezzling money. He was trying to win the money back so he could replace it. But um yeah in the novel Bond is like laid up for months like six seven months oh, I can imagine from that and uh, had a permanent limp yeah yeah. so like the, you know, there's a couple of chapters towards the end of the book where it's just his convalescing from from that beating
2: Bond how are you doing have you healed
1: why yes thank you very much
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no I mean any any guy watching that movie or reading that book, yeah, you just have to wince. It's like, oh, man.
2: I know. I'm, I'm like choking up here still just thinking about it. Now, let me ask you guys this. Uh, one of the things that w- at the time was a big deal when that film came out was Bond playing Texas Hold'em rather than Baccarat.
1: Well, it was, yeah, it was Baccarat in the novel. Thoughts and it was was on that or... or- it and was really poker matter. in the film. I think mainly because they figured people watching the movie would be more uh, familiar with poker, especially with all the poker championships on ESPN and whatever, yeah. um, than they would have backrack, But I mean, Bond played backrack in a lot of the movies before that.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, a lot of people were upset that they switched it over. Did, did it matter to you or you were just like, meh?
1: No a card game's a card game as far as i mm. uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I have no idea, even though I've watched all these movies where he's played Bacharach, I have no idea what the rules of the game are, so yeah yeah, <laughs> I would probably be along with those people who would understand <laughs> poker more than other card games
2: I know you'd be watching to be like set uh, uh, okay uh, did you win <laughs> I guess
1: you won I don't know. <laughs>
2: Karen, any any opinion on that? Or you got no skin in that game?
3: Oh, not really. I mean, it it makes sense. Like Bob said, the poker championship things are so popular. They're on TV all the time. And, you know, I'm sure they felt like they could reach a wider audience Mm. uh, doing that, you know. And, I mean, at the beginning of this, or one part of it, he's, uh, when he goes to, um, oh, heck, where is he at? In the Caribbean or something. He's driving like a ford focus or some, some god-awful car so it's like you know they can sure why not poker why not
2: there you go well let me ask you guys this because i know when when i watch today's news and you're like oh so-and-so dissident was poisoned at the airport uh, airport so-and-so's brother was poisoned by his sister and it's like the, the media is like oh, how brutal how and it's like well we've been watching this for like 40 50 some odd years in James Bond films. And that's what spies do. What do. you what do you guys think about that? I mean it, it, I know Karen kind of talked about the Jason Bourne films and how Bond got a little more brutal but I mean it's the spy game right that, well, That's hey what you
1: spies know do. take it to the next level you got John Wick now. Wow.
3: That's almost fantasy.
2: Yeah, that to me is more like a video game. But you make a good point, Bob. And the thing is, for Christ's sake, he's got a license to kill.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, Karen was talking about the sexism in the films and that. It's like, well, if you want a guy to bring home to mom, you probably (laughs) don't want that guy to have a license to kill. (laughs) It's basically anytime he goes on a mission, he's going to have to kill somebody or he could be killed. So it's almost like every day is your last day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so for him, you know, drinking, womanizing, gambling, whatever, you know, that's that's his way. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, I could die tomorrow, so I might as well get this stuff done today. Well, you know, it's interesting because
2: I know that they tweak Bond for whatever decade that he's in. Um, it's interesting that in the 80s he never became like a crack addict or anything like that
1: (laughs) no but he did become more magnanimous I mean basically you know basically Sean Connery or Roger Moore they'd have four or five women per film and once you got to Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan or even Daniel Craig you know it kind of focused on like a Bond girl Uh, you know like the one he wasn't like you know finding a different girl in every scene to to go to bed with
3: uh well and it's yeah there's a difference to in the way that they related to women so like the stuff i was seeing with the connery films like in the 60s is he would basically just have his way with women and then they would somehow like turn around and be like oh he's so wonderful you know he would just grab a woman and start macking on her and and they, at first they would be like oh oh stop it and then of course they would relent and give in because he's so wonderful which is you know sheer bs but then later in later years it would be more mutual it would be a mutual attraction shown and you know because he's so charismatic and what have you um but he might still yeah, you know, having a, a relationship or an affair with three women in a movie, but there would be like one main woman. So it, you're right; it goes along with the times. It's just back in the '60s; it was it was a lot more sexist. Well, I, th- like, I think yeah.
1: th- I think the scene that illustrates that best is probably in Goldfinger, where he's in the barn with Pussy Galore, and they're you know doing kind of like judo moves and throwing each other, and then he basically forces himself on her
3: yeah you
1: know and then she like gives in but yeah I mean I think that that illustrates I think what Bond was in the 60s hmm
2: let me ask you guys this so you get a little bit more into the to the music was is there a favorite theme that you had before a film I know we talked about you know live and let die and and stuff I know well, Bob will let you talk about it, but as, as the films kind of progressed, the music <laughs> might not have been that that good. Bob was talking about the most recent one, Billy uh, Eilish. Ailish. Eilish.
1: Eilish. Yeah. So, like I said before the, the podcast, it's like she, not just in the Bond theme that she does for No Time to Die but just in any of her songs that I've heard, it sounds like she's going to fall asleep <laughs> in the middle of the song. It's like just insomniac <laughs> themes, but yeah, her Bond theme just is terrible. Yeah. And they keep delaying the movie. I was kind of hoping they'd re-record that theme song, but I don't know it's a lot of times they kind of go for the, the flavor of the time and whoever's, you know, popular. But I mean, yeah. you look, I mean, just compare her to like Shirley Bassey. Mm. You know, Shirley Bassey did Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever, and even Moonraker. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, and she can still belt it out. It'd be nice if she uh, got one more crack at a Bond theme before well, before she can't sing anymore. But
3: some of the recent ones haven't been terrible. I mean, Adele had a pretty big hit with Skyfall, and that wasn't terrible. I'm well, that
1: was kind of in the that was almost in the Shirley Bassey, you know? Yeah. I
3: I actually liked um, I thought uh, Chris Cornell's Song because I I just watched um, which one was it It was one of the Timothy Dalton ones Uh, Living Daylights Yeah And his that wasn't bad And I thought Jack White and I gotta look it up here
1: Well (laughs) Gladys Knight Alicia
3: Keys Yeah, Gladys Knight
1: did uh, License to Kill That was good Well, What about Duran Duran?
3: You know, I actually uh like it It's not one of their better Oh, the (laughs) uh Aha one is so bad
2: (laughs) Aha one is bad
1: I I like the Duran Duran one also
3: Yeah, it's not one of their best songs But I thought it was a pretty good song
1: Now My Bay Area Film Events cohort Bob Bavon and I Went to the San Francisco Symphony Mm. For an evening of Bond music And uh yeah, it was it was okay. They they kind of went on other tangents that weren't that great, but the they had this one singer who came in and he did like the the male Bond themes, and then they had um, Sheila Easton to do mm-hmm. the female themes. Now she did for your eyes only, mm-hmm. which was good, but she comes out and they had her do. Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever back to back. And then she came back to do For Your Eyes Only, and her voice was just ripped after doing those awesome. two. Wow. And so, you know, once you got to sing her song, then it was kind of, you know, she did okay. But, I mean, you could basically tell that she just ripped her vocal cords doing the other two. That's but awesome. she did them, definitely did them justice.
2: Well, my cousin Pete and I, this is about 12... Uh, maybe 15 years ago, out in San Francisco at the Mitchell Brothers, they had uh, Women of Bond. No, just kidding.
3: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, another good one was uh, Carly Simon. And oh, yeah. Nobody does it better. Yeah. But then they used it for all these commercials afterwards. <laughs> I remember it oh, yeah. would be like steak sauce and stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, my God. It was everywhere. Yeah.
1: But I, you know, Lieutenant Debbie and I went last year and saw Tom Jones live. And I thought my main thing of seeing Tom Jones live was I wanted to see him do Thunderball and he didn't do it. (laughs) Ah. I was like depressed.
3: Well, you know, there's a story that supposedly... uh he passed out singing the final note of Thunderball when he recorded it i don't know if that's true or not but maybe he was just afraid he would like have an aneurysm or something so
1: (laughs) well i mean you know it's a great theme
3: yeah it's it's right up there
1: with like goldfinger and and diamonds are forever for those final notes and things but yeah Yeah. it was i thought it was amazing i don't know what what else was good um
2: Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
1: That's right. That was no not a theme, but that was written for Thunderball because uh, yeah. the Japanese nickname for James Bond at the time was Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> so they had uh, Shirley Bassey did a version, and yeah. I think um, Dion Warwick did a version. Oh, wow. Of Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm. And as to, if, if you hear the song, then you'll recognize it's from Thunderball because some of the... Um, background music from the movie was used in the in the song
2: that's right that's right i gotta find that cd it's like a little uh two disc set i think three disc set
1: yeah i think it's probably the same one i have and it has yeah it has both of those and it even has uh, i think it's anthony newley singing goldfinger
2: yes yes that's classic because he co-wrote
1: that with, with john barry and whoever you know so I guess he did, the a demo, of, he did the demo version, which is on there. He
2: put a lot of heart in it,
1: too. Uh, it was sort of the lounge version of uh, Goldfinger.
2: <laughs> well, let me ask you guys, we're coming up towards the end of the podcast. Any last thoughts, any last meanderings you'd like to talk about or avenues to go down uh, with our first Bond podcast?
1: Well, we've got the new movie coming out, so maybe we'll do one on that we just won't Eventually. talk about we just won't talk about the theme song yeah I don't know if that's going to be in theaters or if it's going to be streaming or what they're going to do with it because they just announced I guess Wonder Woman is going to be streamed
2: oh, no. really? 84. They really
1: yeah huh so uh, Yeah. Last that, that might be the future at this point
2: last I heard they, they pushed it well but then again if they're releasing Wonder Woman I don't know i yeah, on resi- news, they just I keep pushing bond back
1: yeah it's january but yeah no they just keep pushing bond back so i'd like to see it in theaters
2: yeah you know but and the drive-in's an option too i mean it's not you know a megaplex but
3: well there's not that many drive-ins though. i mean they've got to make their money back on this thing so they need to have it as widely distributed well as they possible. uh
1: they tried to get it onto Netflix and Hulu and a few others, but Eon was asking for, was it 600 million?
3: That's what I heard.
1: And they wouldn't pay, but I mean, that's probably their break even point or their point where they're actually making some money. So right. Like,
2: sorry, Ian, no one's making money in 2020.
1: So I think they've gone back to having it in a theater. And then after that, you know, they'll be on a search for a new bond at that point.
3: Yeah. He's been doing it for like 14 years now.
1: Yeah. So that's right.
3: Yeah. It's pretty long.
1: So we'll see. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll see where the future together. of bond takes us. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's come to that point in our show for our sensor sweep your ever-loving mission commander has this uh episode sensor sweep and uh you know uh, my grandfather would always tell me sunny boy happy wife happy life uh 50 some odd years uh no wife in my life so it was kind of happy just going and collecting this that and the other met uh lieutenant uh, jasmine got married and One of the few shows that Jasmine and I enjoy watching together is The Mandalorian. The Child, also known as The Asset. What Jasmine refers to as Baby Yoda is uh, her favorite character in that series. Um, Sideshow collectibles. Now, Hot Toys, everyone else, Funko are putting out versions of The Child or Baby Yoda Uh, in various shapes forms uh god there was even like baby yoda hand sanitizer at one of the stores It's, it's get to the point that it's ridiculous but um for our anniversary i got the sideshow collectibles version of the child thinking that even though she's a fan of the child uh baby yoda would wind up in the podcasting office here with me and uh sadly that was not the case she found a room in her <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're like you're like homer buying a bowling ball for marge that fits uh, his hand
1: <laughs> i well, you know and,
2: and i'm dating myself because i was thinking more about uh, fred flintstone and wilma but uh, same concept um you know, i'm i'm joking around it was always going to be hers she has a shelf of uh, baby yoda funcos and all that stuff she even has some hand sanitizer um, but it's up in her room, and she had put uh, Jazz. She crafts, and she also likes to put together jigsaw puzzles. Um, I, I think it was Karen's birthday, or where we got you the Creature from the Black Lagoon thousand-piece puzzle. Oh, yeah. Jazz put that together in, like, two weeks. I mean, it's just... Jeez. Uh, yeah, so she has a Baby Yoda puzzle. We put it together, hung it up on the wall, put the statue up, it's a very nice piece. I mean, sideshow, uh, this is not the hot toys version. There's a hot toys version where you can position and, um, you know, kind of, um, move the arms around and whatnot. This, this guy's a statue. You can turn the head left and right. The knob from the razor quest, uh, has a magnet you can attach to his right hand. And the, I, I'll tell you, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give, uh, we'll put pictures up on the, on our webpage this thing or you can go to the Sideshow uh, Collectibles website it cost a pretty penny but this thing looks like real mm-hmm. very very nice piece um, so if you get a chance you want to invest a little Beskar uh, I, I highly recommend the asset over on uh, Sideshow Collectibles
1: or you go to Walmart and get, I think there's a Hasbro one for like 25 bucks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excuse me. Well, I will say that uh, Jasmine does have the $25 Hasbro one in the little um, carriage, for lack of a better. Uh, and and there is a remarkable, huge difference between how the two look. So. You know, again, you can you can get a what a twenty dollar creature from the Black Lagoon, Bendy, or you can get the sideshow version swimming on its perch, and it, it's a huge, huge difference in in the quality and the look. But for what it's worth, that's this week's uh, this episode sensor sweep. Um, any last Bond uh, thoughts or, or anything else actually before we close out the episode, guys?
1: All right, (laughs) that's... I was waiting for Karen to go.
3: Oh, no, it's just, you know, it's an institution, I I think. It's been going strong for, what, 50 years now? And it'll be interesting to see how it changes and evolves over
1: time. Well, it's definitely one of the longest-running franchises next to Godzilla. But, uh, no, I mean... Yeah, I mean, as long as I've been alive, there's been bond. So, hopefully, it continues.
2: On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more
1: information on this episode's topic.
3: For more conversation, find us on Twitter at planet 8 Cast
1: or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Planet8Podcast.
2: We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.
0: His mission is no game. We know him as a double O and women love his name. He'll kill for God, country cricket and the queen in bed. Every double female foreign agent in between. For him Q gives him gadgets Takes his orders from M. His burden every day Is trying to save the world He'll dance into the fire If it's gonna save the girl Miss Mr. Bond, I expect you to die.